0: I think that it's not just about lazy. I think that we've become lazy because we've lost faith, perhaps. In my own lifetime as an adult, or working adult, I've seen three major disruptions in the market that have affected my portfolio.
1: If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. What's this day, Shoshana Winter? How you doing, Shoshana? I'm doing great. Thank you. Well, I'm glad to hear that and looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Shoshana. She's a digital media veteran Bringing nearly 30 years of marketing management experience on both the agency and client side. Now working at Intu, the company has managed and raised 357 deals, 600 million with a gross value of 2.5 billion, based in New York City, New York. So, with that being said, do you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure.
0: Well, you did a pretty good job of it. I come from an advertising, marketing, and media background. I've worked for many different large advertising agencies and then spent a lot of time in senior marketing roles in digital startups. Probably the one that you guys would be most familiar with is Audible. I ran marketing for Audible for four years before Amazon purchased the company. So very familiar with how to build audiences, for early stage companies using the internet as a tool. About two years ago I had the pleasure of meeting the CEO of Intu, which was a relatively early stage company in the online real estate investment space at the time based in Israel. And he was just about opening a U.S. office because ultimately the real opportunity for real estate investments is in this market. Uh, Worked with the company for a while as a consultant and then got asked to lead the company as a managing director of the U.S. headquarters about a year ago. So I am new to the real estate space. Drinking from the fire hose would be an understatement of what I've experienced over the last 24 months. But what's interesting is that I think a lot of my background, both in working with early stage companies, as well as understanding how to communicate and market directly to accredited investors is something that's really coming in handy as we lead and grow this business in the US.
1: So your target audience would be accredited investors, it sounds like, Yes.
0: At the moment, the offering is just to accredited investors. As we look at the space evolving and we plan to be here for a very long time, we are well aware of and interested in expanding that audience through different kinds of offerings. But in the short time we've been here in the US market, that's our focus right now.
1: I think a lot of people are going to enjoy this conversation because you have the deep experience in digital media and marketing in a way that isn't typically brought to real estate investing and our industry. So what are some of the things that you all have done to reach accredited investors that have been effective?
0: I think you said a couple of things that I think are really relevant. I think that as much as, and I'm sure your audience is already pretty knowledgeable and excited about the real estate investing space. But I think that when you look at the U.S. investor audience, more generally speaking, we're a pretty conservative bunch. And in general, we're pretty passive when it comes to the way we both invest and sort of even think about portfolio diversification, for example. So if you look at the big institutional players and the way we normally interact with companies where we have our IRA or 401k, we pretty much either give it over to our financial advisor or tend to invest in pretty traditional asset classes. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what we're focused on is using digital communication and I would say also traditional communication This conversation in many ways is another form of audio or radio that's gotten much more popular. So we're open to channels that work and that reach the right people at the right time. But I think that ultimately what we're finding is working is understanding the American investor, what he or she is either knowledgeable or not knowledgeable about, and really being able to leverage digital channels, whether it's search engine marketing or doing partnerships with Financial services publishers like Forbes or Fast Company to be able to tell our story in a way that really communicates the fact that this is a relatively easy direct access way to get in on an asset class that traditionally had not been at our disposal. So from a messaging perspective, we're all about this is easy, this is fast, you can do it on your own time, you don't need to go through a financial advisor or a broker, and the returns are in many cases higher than what the stock market and other traditional asset classes that are correlated to the stock market have been able to deliver. So that's sort of my long-winded answer to your question.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really helpful. So when you think about it, it sounds like you think about it. One is first understanding who you're talking to. And from what you're saying, the US investor audience is pretty passive. Another word for it is lazy.
0: Um, (laughs) I didn't want to say that. Yeah,
1: I get it. It's crazy to me because the majority of people work so darn hard for their money But then once they have the money, they don't put some effort into growing that money so that they don't have to work so darn hard continually. It's a flawed logic, but that's just how it is, and good luck changing that. So what you focus on, it sounds like it's more about the category versus the product because it's –
0: Yeah, I think it's both. So listen, anyone that's in this space, or even in the investment space, more broadly speaking, obviously, knowing your audience really matters, because that's going to drive where you talk to them, how you talk to them and what you say. In their defense, just to speak to the lazy comment, which I completely agree with. I think that it's not just about lazy. I think that we've become lazy because we've lost faith, perhaps. In my own lifetime as an adult, a working adult, I've seen three major disruptions in the market that have affected my portfolio. So I think there's a book that was written about this called Rational Exuberance, which is although we look out the window today and in New York City, it is a beautiful fall day with the sun shining and the economy seems to be in good shape. We're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. 2008 is not that long ago for a lot of us. So I think part of the passivity comes from a lack of transparency and understanding of what drives the market and how people's individual portfolios are affected by things that they feel like they don't have very much to do with. And the beauty of real estate and what we really try to lean into is demonstrating to this target audience that actually this is a really transparent asset class. You can actually look at it and see it. It's something that we all experience because we live in homes and we go to work in buildings. These are something very, very sort of organic and natural. And the way in which we choose to make those opportunities accessible is using that same kind of transparency. So I think that it's a marriage between understanding the audiences, the barriers to entry, the fear that they may have or the lack of education. But I think more importantly, Leaning into those trigger points that really help them change the conversation about what this could be. And I think the internet, even in the last five or 10 years, has demonstrated that if you do a good enough job at it from a product and experience perspective, people will begin to behave very differently. Look at the way we now think about booking a hotel room. Going to Airbnb is not the first thing people do. That was something that we wouldn't have even thought about 10 years ago. So I think that we're both part of an emerging group of companies that are trying to give traditional investors access to an untraditional asset class. But at the same time, we're also part of an internet revolution that's giving consumers direct access to things they never had before with better results. And those are the kinds of sort of value propositions that we try to really leverage as we build the business.
1: Hypothetical scenario, your marketing budget has been slashed in half, gasp, right? Like 50% in half and you are only going to focus on one type of advertising where do you put that money
0: any direct response marketer or direct marketer worth their salt as they say would probably say stick to what you know and what you know works so ultimately as you yourself are a perfect example of this this is a podcast that's about a very particular subject The marketing that really is most effective is ones where a consumer self identifies as being interested. So, search is a great example of that. By the action of someone typing in investing in commercial real estate into Google, they are raising their hand and saying, This is something I'm interested in. So, therefore, My ability to be able to capture their imagination and hopefully get them to visit my site and join is a lot more probable than, for example, if I decided to do a big billboard campaign all over New York City. We know a lot now. We have a database of over 200,000 accredited investors. And the data that we use on a regular basis is not only to communicate directly with them, But to extract out demographic and psychographic information that we could then use when we go out and we buy a search campaign or use social media. We're able to create lookalike audiences based on all that data, so that we can really sort of cut out the guesswork, if you will, around marketing and advertising, and only talk to those people that we have a shot at really converting from an interest level. Obviously, as the category grows, and this becomes a more, let's call it a less alternative way of behaving, I think that when you think about things like I'll advertise on television or radio, those things become much more interesting, because we already have a base of users that are pretty familiar with how this works and are excited about
1: it. What are some demographic and psychographic information that you pull from your current database to create a look-like audience to attract via digital ads?
0: I'm so glad you asked about both because I think in the data and marketing world, we tend to focus more on demographics. So obviously, because at the moment we're going after... A relatively small group of people in the United States, let's say it's somewhere between 13 and 15 million accredited investors. They tend to be because associated household income and personal wealth, they tend to be older. They tend to be living in cities that are business hubs versus rural areas. And they tend to be of a higher educational background. So all of those levers, which I think are pretty obvious and Fidelity is going after those people, and Schwab is going after those people. Those demographics are pretty obvious. So obviously, you take advantage of that. I think geography is an interesting one. What states or cities are there high concentration of accredited investors, etc.? The second piece, is, I think, is where it gets really interesting, which is, To me, as a marketer and a business person, this is not just about how old you are and where you live. This is about an attitude. Somebody who's going to feel comfortable after seeing an ad on Google or on Instagram to come through and either call us or sign up to create an account at Into and then talk to a registered salesperson about the latest offering we have in Little Rock, Arkansas, that person is probably a little bit more of a progressive thinker. He or she was probably an early adopter of other disruptive products like Airbnb or Uber or Casper mattresses or Warby Parker glasses. These are people who, despite their age, and I think the world likes to make us all feel very old and out of touch with technology, the truth is we have the most disposable income, and a lot of us are very much leveraging those kind of disruptive technologies to get more done in a day, to have more access and transparency to those things, and to do it in a way that feels personal to us. So when we look at progressive mindset, we look at things like what are the other sites or services that these individuals are using on a regular basis? What are they reading? What products are they purchasing? Those are the kinds of data sets that allow us to really think about our investor, not as a number, but as a human being with a particular personality and a particular attitude when it comes to trying things like this.
1: And how do you determine what other sites are they on and what other products are they purchasing? What are they reading?
0: Some may find this creepy, but um, (laughs) the (laughs) one thing that marketers and businesses have at their disposal today more than ever before is an incredible amount of data. And I think a lot of us maybe speak about privacy and issues like that, but at the end of the day, if the data that's available to us, whether it's buying a campaign on Facebook, Google, and Amazon is becoming a bigger player as well, those platforms, because of their scale, collect an enormous amount of data from their users, where a user is visited before they came to the site, what are the groups that they're members of, if it's a social site, for example. And these are all data sets that, although they're never delivered to us, Excel spreadsheet, They are used to create audiences based on certain kinds of attitudes or behaviors. So, for example, let's talk about the busy working mother. That would be an example of that. We're able to take a group like that and go to a lot of our digital partners and provide them with the data we have, anonymized, of course, And say, these are the kinds of people that we've been very successful with. Can you find them on Facebook or Instagram? And what most of these platforms are able to do because of the amount of data that they hold and use is to be able to identify those people within their own platform and allow us to target them with our advertising in a very, very precise way.
1: So for someone who is listening and wants to learn from this process and do it, How do you do that exactly? Like if they have a list of people, like, you know what, I'd love to know more of what they're reading and what they're purchasing. I have this database of people. What are the steps that they would take in order to better target them and get that information?
0: So I'm going to be honest about not being able to go through every step because it's not something that I personally do on a day-to-day basis. I have a director of marketing and we work at the digital media agency, but Even if someone had a relatively small business and they reached out to Google and said, I want to do a campaign that reaches a particular audience, and here's what I know about my audience, the ad rep on the other side should be able to, in some way, shape, or form, either extract the core parts of the data that the advertiser owns, without names, obviously, and or replicate the demographic makeup on their own platform and then allow them to create campaigns that are highly targeted to those groups. It's it. an art and it's science in and of itself. And I don't want to at all position myself as an expert, but I'm well enough first in understanding how it works at a high level to know that where digital is really going and we're marketers in this space and in really in any category, the biggest asset they have is knowing who they're, talking to with as much granularity as possible so that they're not wasting their ad dollars on those individuals that are probably not going to be interested in being a customer.
1: Makes sense. So on the flip side, what's something that you all have spent money on marketing wise and you're not doing that anymore because that just was not a good ROI?
0: That's a great question. I think everything is all about timing. And I mentioned earlier television and doing content on whether it's Barron's or Fast Company or sort of in the world of sort of financial services publications like the Wall Street Journal, where we know a large chunk of our audience probably is. I think that the problem for a more early stage marketer like us, or even let's say somebody who's starting their own business, is that those channels are, tend to be more expensive and the impact that they have directly, sometimes harder to measure immediately. What you're really doing, as we say in the marketing biz, more top of the funnel, brand awareness, creating an immediate connection with somebody, but it might not result in an action. So that's not something we're really investing heavily right now as we build the business because really what's going to make it work at this stage is, as they say, getting to the low-hanging fruit, those individuals that we have already expressed an interest in this category. Our company, about six months ago, made an acquisition of a competitive company in the space that had gone out of business. And with it, we were able to inherit access to their database of accredited investors. That, in many ways, was a piece of marketing. It was our ability to be able to have a larger addressable audience of investors that have already raised their hand and said, I'm interested in commercial real estate. I think that as we grow and we exhaust the low hanging fruit and we want to start talking to maybe more of the mom and pop investor who maybe is more conservative or maybe is not as progressive, but who we know can really benefit from it from a portfolio management perspective, then we would start to look to things that are perhaps a little bit more expensive and not as direct, but help us to really tell a story in a more compelling way and build interest over time. So I think it depends on what stage you're at. I think almost anything can work, but I think it has to be at the right time and with the right measurement.
1: Yeah. Thank you for that information. Lots of great information. Just so I'm clear on one thing that you've spent money on that hasn't worked. What is that one thing? Okay. I would
0: say right now to do a big TV campaign would probably not be the best use of my marketing dollars. Right. Just from a pure return perspective. I do think there will be a time, hopefully in the near future, where that will make sense for us. But right now, that's not something we would consider.
1: Got it. So you've been strictly digital since you've been on board in this capacity for the last 24 months. I
0: would say digital and content, where content can have a life outside of digital, but I would say those are our two main focuses. And then we do spend a tremendous amount of effort in what they call CRM, which is Customer Relationship Management. So marketing directly to our own base of users, some of whom have already invested and some of whom have not and really trying to get to know them and offer them, whether it's access to webinars or eBooks, articles that we create that will help make them feel more confident and informed about the category. So the notion of investing becomes a little bit more accessible.
1: And how do you get to know your own database a little bit more? Tactically speaking, how do you execute on that?
0: I think a combination of email, as old as it is, is a very powerful medium. It allows you to create tiny little audiences based on how active somebody is, because we have all of that information. Audiences based on things like, have they invested in the last six months? Have they not? Do they tend to invest in deals that are in certain geographies or not? So what I think email marketing allows us to do is get very, very sophisticated about how we segment the audience and then create really customized content or messaging that we believe is going to work best with that audience versus just sending out a lot of mass Mm -hmm. mail, if you will. So email has been very powerful for us just both in terms of segmentation and then in terms of the data that we get back after an email is sent. What was the open rate? What was the click-through rate? What are people doing as a result of said email? So that's, I think, one. And then the other may sound kind of old-fashioned, but we're an investment company. And at the end of the day, this is about building a relationship between a registered investment professional that we have on our team that will pick up the phone, welcome members to the platform, and through conversations over time, enable them to feel comfortable enough and informed enough about a particular opportunity. And we keep all of the data that gets collected by the salespeople on an internal proprietary platform that we have. So you can go into our platform as a salesperson and look up an individual investor and really get a full history of what he or she has done or hasn't done over the life of their membership at Into, which is incredibly valuable when we're having a phone conversation or sending out email.
1: Else. What CRM platform do you all use?
0: We are using HubSpot as our marketing automation platform. And then some of our CRM is actually built on top of our portal. So it's a combination of the two.
1: Anything else as it relates to this topic that you think we should talk about that we haven't talked about before we wrap up?
0: I just say that I think that those of us in the online real estate investment space. These are early days in a category that I think is really going to change the way people think about their money. And I think it's an exciting time to really be on both sides of it as an investor and on our side as a business that's trying to communicate and get that investor to invest a portion of their portfolio with them. I think it's just really incredible that regular retail investors that don't know somebody in the business and don't have to put in a million dollars can invest into deal and see double digit returns in a short period of time. So I just think it's an exciting time to be in the space, to be marketing in the space and to be an investor.
1: Loved our conversation. Lots of really good tips for how to think about marketing to accredited investors and specifically how to reach them some challenges, as well as some solutions. Shoshana, how can the best ever listeners learn more about your company?
0: The website's pretty easy to follow and there's an email address on every single page, investedinto.com, which gets answered personally every single day, or you could just pick up the phone and call us. Someone will talk to you.
1: Thank you so much for being on the show. Hope you have the best of your day. We'll talk to you again soon. You got it.
0: Thank you so much.
1: If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above, and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. The Target Market Insights podcast is just that, a show solely dedicated to help you learn about target markets through the people successfully shaping them. The show features professionals who work directly with the audience and market you want to connect with in real estate. Listen and subscribe today at targetmarketinsights.com. That's targetmarketinsights.com.